You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. On 1 July this year, a large number of superannuation changes will come into effect. This will include threshold changes to existing rules, as well as a whole number of completely new rules, all of which an advisor will need to be aware of when providing advice in relation to superannuation. I'm your host, Craig Day, and here to summarise all of these changes and discuss what they mean for advisors is Kim Guest, one of my senior technical services managers in the First Tech team. G'day, Kim. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm good. And you? Not too bad. The uh, The month of June is always somewhat crazy, um, but we seem to be surviving it okay this year. Yes, it has been a bit busy. Yes. Now, okay, 1 July. And that look, part of the reason for the busyness is all of these changes that are coming through. So I think I've counted them up. There's Depending on how you break them up, there's there's probably about 10 different superannuation changes coming through. So what we thought really important is actually stop and have a look at what all these changes are, summarise them to make sure advisors across all the changes have a look at what they potentially mean for advisors and their clients. So maybe starting off with the contribution changes, specifically around the concessional caps. Do you want to run us through what's happening there? Yeah, sure. So we're getting an indexation of the concessional cap threshold, which is great. So we've had 25,000 for a few years now, and now it's increasing to 27,500 from the 1st of July to 2021. So that's um, good news. We've got a little bit more cap to play with. Um, so that may mean that we can make some extra concessional contributions without exceeding that new $27,500 cap. Um, Terrific. Yeah, interestingly, we've also got um, carry-forward concessional contributions as well, haven't we? So, you know, we've had that rule for a little while now where if we've got unused concessional cap amounts since 2018, we can actually make some additional concessional contributions using those carry-forward amounts. So, it's possible we might even get more in than 27,500 if we've... Yeah, and actually the phones in our tech services team are running quite hot at the moment. A lot of people calling through wanting to know how these carry forward concessional contribution cap rules work. So don't forget from next year, we're dealing with a higher cap. So for many people that are not fully salary sacrificing up to their cap, that change could also increase the level of carry forward concessional contributions they've got accumulating for them. Um, but also you may actually see some clients that they they don't have to limit their their contributions or well, concessional contributions next year to that that. 27 and 27,500, they could potentially go above it due to being able to use those carry forward concessional contribution cap rules. Yeah, that's right. So it's good now we can go on to MyGov and have a look at, you know, what kind of, um, whether the client's got any carry forward concessional available. 
Um, and, and just remembering that uh, total super balance has to be below 500,000 to be able to utilise the carry forward concessional. But, yeah, it could be a very good opportunity um, for people yeah, looking yeah. for maximum. So does this mean clients that are employees should be increasing their salary sacrifice levels to cater for the higher concessional cap? So maybe those clients using, you know, a TTR strategy? Yeah, well, it is a good opportunity to review you know, how much they're making as salary sacrifice contributions or how much they're making as personal deductible contributions. But, of course, we've got um, another change that's happening from the 1st of July that will also influence how much they could salary sacrifice, and that's the the increase to super guarantee. Ah, oh, yeah, good point. So, actually, well, let, let's go and have a look at that and then we can come back and look at how these two rules actually work together from a strategy perspective. So, Okay, what's happening with SG? There's been a lot of debate over the last 12 months whether those legislated increases should actually continue to occur or whether they should be changed. Um, we were thinking that we were going to see, if we were, we were going to see any change, it'd be announced in the federal budget, but we didn't see anything there. So I assume that just means rate of SG is going from 9.5% to 10% on the 1st of July, is that correct? Yeah, that's our understanding. So um First of July this year, we'll get an increase to 10%. And then after that, it's legislated that um, every year it'll keep increasing by half a percent until it gets to 12% on 1 July 25. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's really important to remember. It's not just this year, it's going to be each 1 July through until 1 July 2025 that we're going to see this 0.5% increase. So, I suppose in terms of the first one, what does this mean for advisors and their clients? Well, 10% is a nice, easy number to calculate, so that's good. It's easy to calculate SG from 1st of July. Um, but it means that, of course, SG will increase and it will take up a little bit more of the concessional cap. So you've sort of got an increase in the cap to 27500 and then you've also got an increase in SG to 10%. And so um, advisors will need to work out how much of their cap is left, um, taking into account that increase in SG if they're trying to figure out how to maximise you know, salary sacrifice or personal deductible contributions. Yeah, because I think the important thing to think about there is you kind of think, okay, SG's gone up, so therefore I may need to reduce the amount their salary sacrificing down because SG's taking up more of the cap. Mm. But this year we're also seeing that cap increase by $2,500. So, in fact, the amount that you can salary sacrifice might actually go up because if you have a look at your SG increase, which I suppose depends on your, your level of income, let's just say that's $100,000, by going up by, you know, an extra $500, essentially that 0.5% increase gives you. Um, but the cap itself is going up by $2,500. So you could potentially in that situation increase the amount your salary sacrifice by $2,000. Yeah, that's right. I think for most people, um, you know, even taking into account the increase in SG, there may still be some increases to salary sacrifice or personal deductible contributions that they can still do. Yeah, but I suppose then thinking about that going forward into future years, because we do have these 0.5% increases locked in for the next couple of years. Now, we're not going to get a, well, highly unlikely that we're going to get an increase in the concessional cap next 1 July, you know, 1 July 2022 as well. So in that situation, that's when you would need to think about potentially reducing the amount of salary sacrifice because SG's gone up. I've seen no increase in the in the concessional cap, so therefore I may need to reduce my level of salary sacrifice down a bit just to avoid breaching any sort of or exceeding the concessional cap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what about employees not salary sacrificing? Yeah, well, for them it's good news. Um, you know, the, their 
super guarantee is going to increase to 10%, which will increase the amount going into super and increase their final retirement balance without them having to do anything. And, of course, the younger they are, the better it is because they get the compounding. So um, so that's that's a positive thing for those people. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there, there has been some media, um, I think I saw something in the Australian Financial Review a little while ago, um, saying that employees may actually reduce people's take-home pay because of this increase in SG. Do, do you know how that works? Yeah, it's really going to depend on the contractual arrangement um, between the employer and the employee. If they're paid on a you know a contract basis, of a total income basis, where you know say they on a hundred thousand, and that includes both super contributions and take home pay, then if the super contributions increase to ten percent, then the take home pay will reduce. And um, for, so people on that those kind of arrangements may see a reduction in their take-home pay unless, of course, the employer decides to absorb that cost or or change that. Um, But for people who are paid on a base salary plus superannuation, uh, they may see that their base salary doesn't reduce and just the level of super contributions increase. So so they may be benefited by The employer absorbs it. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose there would also be those employees that might be covered under an industrial award or enterprise agreement or something that specifies, you know, a base level of of income. Um, And in that situation, an employer probably be unlikely to be able to reduce their their salary in those kinds of situations as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I suppose, you know, we're sitting here assuming that, you know, financial advisors, clients are all just uh, employees or. Um, what about employers? So if you've got a small business operator here, um, what do they need to think about? Yeah, well, they'll need to go and review all their contractual arrangements with their employees and and, and see what impact um, that's going to have. They, they may have already done that in the lead up to 1 July, hopefully, yeah. um, and then review their payroll systems as well to make sure that those increases in SG will go through because, um, as we know, the, the penalties for, for not paying the appropriate amount of SG are quite severe. Yeah, you don't want to get left with an SG charge just because you've, you know, your payroll system wasn't updated in time. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to non-concessional contributions. So here's another change that's happening. Um, do you want to summarise what's going on here? Yeah. So this is also a really positive change. We've got an increase to the standard non-concessional contribution cap. So we've had a hundred thousand for a few years, and that's going up to a hundred and ten thousand from one July two thousand and twenty-one. Um, and of course, that also means that under the bring forward rules, the amount that um, someone can contribute has also increased. So instead of a maximum of three hundred thousand that we've had up until. 30 June 2021, that's going to increase to 330,000 from the 1st of July 21. So opportunity there to to get a bit more money into super as a non-concessional contribution. Yeah, excellent. Now, one of the questions I know we've been getting through the the tech line in relation to these is um, what happens if my client has already triggered the bring forward rule? So, you know, those rules that say if you contribute more than $100,000 in a year and you're eligible to utilise the bring forward rules. can they now put in an extra $30,000 worth of non-concessional contributions because of this change from the 1st of July? Unfortunately not, no. So the first year that you trigger the bring forward, that's the year that um, it's locked in, the amount that you're able to to utilise. So if you triggered it, for example, this year, 2020 um, and you contributed you know more than the 100000 then that would mean that you've locked in that 300000 can be um, used under the bring forward rule, not not three hundred and thirty thousand. 
Right. So don't don't get that wrong and go and throw an extra thirty thousand dollars in on one July, thinking that because the cap's gone up that your uh, your ability to contribute under the bring forward rule has also gone up by thirty thousand dollars. Likely, depending on your circumstances. For example, I suppose if you've already put three hundred thousand dollars in this year, and then you try and add an extra thirty thousand dollars on one July next year, that thirty thousand is going to be in excess of what your cap actually is of three hundred thousand dollars, regardless of this this particular change. So you're going to have thirty thousand dollars worth of excess non concessional contributions. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, also. Now, this is also some breaking news. We we saw some changes to the non-concessional contribution bring forward rule just recently in relation to eligibility based on age. Do you want to just run through what happened there? Yeah, so this is really good news. We've been waiting for over a year for this legislation. Forever, it seems. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like forever. Uh, when was it first announced in the 2019 budget? Mm-hmm. 2019 federal budget. Yeah. Yep, that's right. It was actually that budget that... Uh, that got moved forward a month, remember, it, uh, because the federal election was actually going to happen in oh, May yeah. and that was the election that the the coalition won and no one expected them to and they, because they were going to have the election in uh, in May, they moved the budget forward to April. So this, this particular proposal got announced in April 2019 and didn't get actually legislated until the 17th of June 2021. Believe it or not. Yeah, it took a while, didn't it? And um, of course, the thing we're talking about is that increase to the age where you're able to use the bring forward rule. So, you know, prior to the change, you had to be under 65 at the beginning of the financial year to be able to to trigger the bring forward rule. Um, But now um, you can be under 67 at the beginning of the financial year and trigger that bring forward rule. So that's a really good opportunity for people who are 65 and 66. to, to still be able to use the bring forward rule. Um, I think also a lot of people may have breathed a very deep sigh of relief. Um, I know that there were some advisors that had clients that were turning 67, um, you know, over the last couple of months. And uh, the question was, do, do we throw the dice mm-hmm. and uh, take the punt and assume that these rules will get in? and make the contribution for a 66-year-old while they were still eligible to contribute of, uh, you know, the $300,000. And so they were really sweating on this change coming through because if it didn't come through, they were going to have excess non-concessional contributions because their cap would have only been $100,000. But because this is being backdated to to 1 July 2020, um, then those those contributions that have been made during the 2020-21 financial year will be assessed under the higher cap. So a great relief for them. Um, also, what about, you know, we've got those th- non-concessional contribution cap thresholds, right? So these are for the very, for the people with lots of superannuation savings that beyond certain levels, your ability to use the bring forward rule and actually your ability to make any non-concessional contributions at all uh, are impacted. So those thresholds are also increasing, aren't they? Yeah, so that's that's more good news. So, you know, up until now, if you had more than $1.6 million as a total super balance on the previous 30 June, you weren't able to make any further non-concessional contributions, but that threshold's actually going up to $1.7 million, um, from the 1st of July 2021. So those people may be able to make some non-concessional contributions where they couldn't previously yeah, so thinking about that, I suppose if you had someone that had a total super balance of $1.65 million on 30 June 2020, 
Um, they haven't been able to make a non-concessional contribution at all this year. But then let's just say their total super balance is still exactly the same come 30 June this year, 2021, so mm. you know, less than 10, 10 days away, six-odd six days away. Um, then in that situation, if it's still 1.65, then they've got the ability to make non-concessional contributions switched back on next year. Yeah, that's right. Yep, as long as it's under 1.7, they're able to make a non-concessional contribution, which is great news. And what about those people with a bit less, but they're still impacted by these bring forward rules? So they've got, you know, they had that threshold that once you exceed 1.4 million, you weren't allowed to use, well, you could still make bring forward contributions, but you you couldn't do the full 330 anymore. It actually got restricted. Are those thresholds changing? Yeah, they've gone up too. So it's not round numbers anymore. It's not just 1.4 and 1.5 and 1.6. It's now 1.48 and 1.59 and 1.7. So it'll be important to actually, if you've got somebody with, you know, total super balance up around that, um, those kind of levels, it'll be important to, to look it up um, very carefully as to, how much they've got um, as to how much they can actually bring forward under those rules. But, yeah, if you've got um, over 1.48 million, then the amount you can use under the bring forward starts to reduce. Right, 1.48. I mean, you know, as if the super system wasn't complex enough, now we're getting these crazy non-round figures being thrown at us. I mean, 1.48, where that comes from, if you're wondering, is that the way you calculate that that figure is it's the the general transfer balance cap of 1.7 million less two times the non-concessional cap. So the non-concessional cap has gone up by, uh, by un- well, what is it? Yeah, $30,000. Um, yep. No, it's gone up by 10000 10, It's gone up to $10,000. Yep. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, God, even I'm getting confused by all of this. <laughs> so we, yeah, that's right. It's gone up to $110,000. So we reduce um, the $1.7 by two times the, the concessional cap, so $220,000. So that's where we get the 1.48. And for the 1.5 figure, that used to be 1.6 less one times the non-concessional cap of $100,000. Now it's 1.7 less 110000 So that's how you get the 1.59. And obviously 1.7 is just simply an increase in that uh, in that general transfer balance cap by $100,000. So that's how those crazy rules work. Now, we're also getting a new type of contribution this year, courtesy the One Nation Party, so a, a bit of politicking as part of getting the the Your Future Your Super reforms through. That they they snuck some changes through into the um, the Bring Forward Bill, which actually results in a new type of contribution, and you can make these from the first of July this year. Do you want to run through what these new types of contributions are? Yeah, so this is really to um, aimed at helping those people who access their super under the the COVID-19 early release measures that we had um, you know, in the last couple of years where people got 10000 out and then they, they may have got a second lot of $10,000 out um, to help them, you know, manage with during the economic impacts of the COVID. Um, this bill actually allows them to contribute up to $20,000 of the, you know, equivalent amount of what they got released under that COVID condition of release and recontribute mm-hmm. it back into, into superannuation. And, and that contribution won't count under their non-concessional cap, um, but also they can't claim a tax deduction for it. And is that forever? I think it's when are they cutting that off? I think you can start making these contributions from the 1st of July 2021 this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but it cuts out at 30 June 2030, doesn't it? So you've got nine years to make these particular types of contributions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's quite a long time. Think about, do you think these will be popular, these types of contributions? No, I don't. No, I think most people <laughs> access their super under the, the COVID condition of release um, probably, you know, won't, won't um, have a problem with their non-concessional cap. So those people could probably make a contribution under their non-concessional cap without maxing it out. Um, it'd probably be fairly unusual that somebody who accessed their super under COVID condition of release then has already maxed out their non-concessional cap and has already maxed out their concessional cap and now is, you know, making these contributions. And they're looking to get an extra $20,000 in. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. might be a few people. Right. I wouldn't think it would be too many. I, and maybe that's, why the government, maybe that's why the government let it through because they're just going, well, this, you know, this is kind of a blue squirrel kind of person that's going to make this kind of contribution so it'll have negligible impact on revenue. So maybe, maybe that's how it worked out. Um, moving on to income stream changes. So moving away from contributions now and talking about um, pensions. So we saw some announcements around minimum pension payments. So we just want to reiterate what's going on here with those that 50% reduction. Yeah, so this was really surprising, wasn't it? We thought, um, you know, that they would say in the budget if they were going to extend the 50% minimums to another year, but they they didn't say anything then, but then they they did announce um, shortly afterwards that they are extending it. So um, this sort of took us by surprise. I'm sure it took advisors by surprise too um, that, that those 50% minimums will continue to apply for 2021-22. Um, yeah, it was actually well into June when they made this announcement, mm-hmm. which was a little bit frustrating for people because it, it just it should have been announced in the federal budget. And the fact that it wasn't, everyone just assumed that the you know the the pension minimums were going back to their their normal. So everyone started to plan for that, and all of a sudden, you know, I think it was ninth or seventh or somewhere around you know the tenth of June somewhere, the government came out and announced that they would be extending it another twelve months. So it only gave advisors a very short time to actually communicate this to and funds, in fact, to in, uh, communicate this to all of their, their clients and their, their members. So, um, you know, it would have been better if it came through a bit earlier, that one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and I guess it means that, you know, those people who got the minimum last year or, you know, 2020-21 will probably continue to get the 50-cent minimum in 21-22 unless they actually tell the fund that they want something different. Yeah. yeah. And that's an important point. Well, with, with these 50% halvings, not not everyone can afford to reduce their income from a superannuation pension by 50%. For those people that can, great. They, they've had to, re, you know, draw down less from their account-based pensions. I suppose for this year, this might be the third year in a row that they're taking uh, a reduced minimum. Have they used up their other financial resources? Do they now actually need to go back to the fund and say, actually, no, I need to take a bit more this year. So you just need to contact your fund to do that. Also, what's happening with the transfer balance cap? That's going up as well, isn't it? Yeah, so we've got an increase in the transfer balance cap. It was $1.6 million and now it's going up to $1.7 million from 1st of July 21. Okay, so how does that how does that work? So if I've got someone that's just starting their first you know, just say they've retired and they're starting their first retirement phase income stream, such as an account-based pension on the 1st of July, I think the way the rules work there is that um, your a person's transfer balance cap will equal the general transfer balance cap in the year 
they first became entitled to receive a, a retirement phase income stream. So if we've got someone that is retired and commenced a pension, let's say, two weeks ago, um, they're not necessarily – their transfer balance cap would have started off at 1.6 and they might get a bit of proportional indexation. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But for those clients that hold off and they commence their first retirement phase income stream, such as their account-based pension on the 1st of July, instead of midway through June, their transfer balance cap will equal the general transfer balance cap in that year and that's gone up to 1.7. So they get 1.7 instead of 1.6. Yeah, that's right. So they can possibly start their um, retirement phase income stream with or probably account-based pension in most cases with a bit more money, so 1.7 rather than 1.6 if they've got that available. Now. I mentioned it there, though, that there are, if I've got someone that's already commenced a retirement phase income stream, so I might have a client that already had one in existence at 1 July 2017, or they've retired and, and started an account-based pension at some time between 1 July 2017 and, and 30 June 2021, um, they're not getting that full indexation. They're getting proportional indexation, aren't they? Do you want to just mm. try and explain how that works. We've done some podcasts on this in the past around proportional indexation, but really generally, how does that work? Yeah, so what they, they do is they they say, well, have a look at how much of your transfer balance cap you haven't used, so the unused amount of your transfer balance cap, and we'll give you um, a proportion of the $100,000 indexation based on the unused amount. So if you'd only used up half your transfer balance cap and so you've got half of it that's unused, then you're going to get half of the indexation, for example. So you get 50000 of indexation instead of the full 100000 Yeah. Now, I suppose conceptually that sounds pretty simple, um, but the complexity of this little change comes into knowing which figures you use to determine the unused proportion because what the rules here say is you've got to use the highest ever transfer balance account value. So what they were afraid of here was, was you know, people that had uh, these really clever people called financial advisors that would on the 30, well, 30th of June this year, they would go and commute and transfer someone's account-based pension back into the accumulation phase and say, look, I've got, I've got no transfer balance account value on 30 June, so therefore I'm entitled to the full indexation of $100,000. So the government said, no, we know you're going to do that. So what we're requiring people to do is use the highest ever transfer balance account value. So let's say you started that pension for 1.6, then you're actually, that's the highest balance you have to use for the unused proportion. And because you've started for 1.6 and the cap was 1.6, your unused proportion is zero. So therefore your indexation is zero times $100,000. And according to my primary school maths, that's zero. <laughs> so you get no actual proportional indexation. Now, um, I, I've also chatted to advisors about this and they go, oh, Craig, I don't really have that many clients anywhere near the transfer balance cap. I, I don't really need to worry about this, do I? But uh, I think potentially they are. Can you let us know when clients may need to, or advisors may need to sit down and calculate these proportional indexation figures? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's often when um, a member dies and the spouse takes their death benefit as an income stream that we start to have to worry about the transfer balance cap. Um, so whether they take it as a reversionary income stream or whether they take it as a new death benefit pension, you know, that's going to count against that beneficiary's transfer balance cap. And then um, we need to be really careful and calculate, you know, what their transfer balance cap is and what, what's available to make sure that we're not making them exceed that. 
Yeah, there, there might be situations there where you go, well, okay, well, you're entitled to proportional indexation on the 1st of July 2021 of, let's say, $60,000. So that took your transfer balance cap to 1.66. But, um, you know, you're, you've now been, a death benefit is payable to you for a million dollars and taking into account what you've already taken, that's going to result in you exceeding your uh, transfer balance cap of 1.66. So then that's when all that strategy comes in about, okay, well, how much do we take as a debt benefit lump sum? How do we commute? How much do we commute out of our existing retirement phase income streams that the person started at retirement? So we've got a whole article that looks at all of those issues. So if you've got clients in those kinds of situations, give us a call and we can we can flick you through that article and just steps it through what you need to look at. Also, I suppose here a really important thing would be to look at MyGov. Um because they're, they're talking about updating the um, the information that they make available to people uh, in relation to their superannuation. We've also done a pod- podcast on that this month about all the different types of info you can get off MyGov. And one of those will be the proportional indexation figure for clients. And they'll have that available on MyGov from the 6th of July. So that will be a great help. The only thing that I would really point out to people there is watch out if you've got clients with self-managed super funds because there may have been transactions uh, occurring in relation to a self-managed super fund client that simply haven't been reported to the ATO for transfer balance cap purposes yet. So when they go and calculate that highest balance and try and figure out what the unused proportion is, if they haven't actually been reported, a new pension has been commenced, because remember, a lot of SMSFs are on annual reporting for transfer balance cap purposes. So they could have started a pension in the last year and that may not have been reported to the ATO as at the, the 1st of July 2021. So therefore, the ATO won't know it exists. So they would think that the client's highest ever balance is actually lower than it actually is and therefore overstate the the amount of the proportional indexation they're entitled to. So just be very careful with that. Now, finally, to finish off, what's the last thing? I think something's happening with self-managed funds. Yes, very exciting. We're, um, we've got an increase to the number of members that you can have in a self-managed super fund. So we've had four as a maximum for quite a long time and it's going to six members from the 1st of July 2021. So that was actually, that was also another announcement from the 2019 federal budget. So mm. all the way back to April 2019, so before even anyone had heard of the word COVID, um, well before <laughs> anyone had heard of the word COVID. So um, six members, do we think a lot of people are going to rush out and set up six-member self-membership funds? Well, probably not. No, I think most members are, most self-membership funds have one or two members, don't they? And so um, not right. many have I, four as it is. Yeah, yeah. The stats are something like 60-odd percent of SMSFs are two-member, so mum and dad funds. Then you've got about 30-odd percent that are single-member funds. And then three- and four-member funds make up the the final odd 9%. Mm-hmm. So I think unlikely that we're going to get a lot of people run out and uh, set up six-member self-managed funds. But I think where what you would find is that you may have particular family groups that this will, will assist. So they might want to have a uh, self-managed fund with all of their kids in the fund with them. So you will see those particular situations um, being very relevant to a small number of funds. So you may see them starting to set up. Now, when can they start doing this from? 1st of July 2021. 1st of July 2021. The, the interesting thing around this one was it said that this rule takes effect from the first day after the end of the quarter in which the bill receives raw assent. Now, this bill received raw assent on the 
22nd of June. So therefore, it does take effect from the 1st of July because that's the first day after the end of the quarter in which it received Royal Assent, which means you can set up six member funds from that date. So if you want to go go and do that, I'd be talking to your uh, your document providers or your advisors. If you're an advisor, talk to the document providers. Make sure that their deeds have been updated to allow for six member funds. I think that's probably the most important thing to think about there. Now, um, I think that's about it. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.